Amen. Awesome worship this morning. Give God a round of applause. Wasn't that awesome? Man, if, if, if you guys didn't get a little bit of Jesus on that song right there, then you, you need to listen to what I said and then come get saved because I'm telling you, that was money. What a great truth this morning. Man, I probably got a booger on my nose right now and my glasses were watering. So uh, so anyway, we're glad that you guys are here this morning. Uh, welcome to Connect Church. My name's Andrew Pierce. <laughs> now, anyway, uh, <laughs> the booger part. Uh, anyway, uh, my name is Terry Pierce and I get the chance to be the lead pastor uh, here at Connect Church, and we want to welcome you to our services. I don't know if you guys heard, but apparently, JP, there was something big that happened this week in, 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 in America. I don't know. I've been shutting out social media and news stuff, and, and I just didn't want all the negativity. So I finally just heard of all of this clamor going on that something big happened this week in our country. So I checked it out, and I found out there was a report in Manhattan on Friday that some dude had the audacity to steal a Krispy Kreme truck in New York. It got me fired up, but it just wasn't me. The report went on to say, and I'm so apologizing because we've got so many cops in our, but the police department found out that a Krispy Kreme truck had been stolen, and they called all hands on deck, and 40 cop cars <laughs> were chasing <laughs> Sorry, but not just you guys. They were chasing the donuts, but they called in the preachers, Daniel, and all of the clergy in Manhattan, all four of them, uh, and uh, they, uh, they began to pray uh, for the, uh, the driver, and they said, we pray those, gops, those cops find that guy that stole the Krispy Kreme truck, and they pull him out of the truck and put him in the chair right now. No even trial. Uh, we just got to get this thing done, but I got to confess to you, because I'm not fully sanctified yet, <laughs> no kidding. And as I read that story, I got to thinking, Jerry, if there was ever a felony that I ever wanted to commit in my life, it would be to rob and steal a Krispy Kreme truck donuts and driving fast. Just take me on to heaven. My life has now been fulfilled. Anyway, it has really nothing to do with the sermon, but that was a cool story. So I want to share with you today that my, uh, my favorite author, one of my favorite authors is Mark Twain. And Mark Twain says two significant, he has a brilliant author. He would take complex things and make them really simple. That's why I liked him. And he says a very interesting uh, twofold thing. He says, number one, he said the most important, two important facts that you need to know about your life. Number one, the day you were born. Duh. Most important thing. Number two, the most significant thing you need to know is why you were born. The day you were born and why you were born. And we're going to help answer that second one in this message today. We're talking to you in a sermon series about This Is Us and how the church uh, comes into play in, in discovering uh, God's will for your life and why we are here is, and what we represent as a church. And we're going to unpack even more of that. But today's going to be a little bit focused on your life, how that when we get church right, it impacts you understanding how to answer that second question. Unfortunately, we have a lot of error in our life, and Satan is really good at deceiving you all and leading even the church astray. And one of those things that he does is when it comes down to God's will. Andrew's got all these teenagers, and you know most of them, except you guys got to do something with the hair. But anyway, uh, uh, most of these guys are looking good up here this morning. So thankful they're sitting up here within spitting. I mean, within uh, range. And, and so, uh, but here's the thing: when they're there, when you're that age, you're always thinking, you know, well, what's God's will? What am I going to do with my future? Is it going to be TikToks or whatever, you know, uh, what does my future look like in my life? 
but it happens to all of us. And you know how we think about God's will. And one of the lies that Satan has robbed us of is he said, you know, I just don't ever know what God's will is for my life, so you guys quit searching for it because you sort of think that, and this is how we view God, and Satan is such a deceiver and liar, that God's dangling his will up here. And if I just jump through enough spiritual hoops and I do everything just right and perfect, maybe God will let me have a little taste of of his will. And that's how we view God a lot. And so we just go, you know what? I'm not going to ever get there. I'm never going to jump through the right hoop. And so it's never, that's why I, it's why only the super spiritual get to know it. Y'all do the same thing millennials do with your pets. Drives me insane. I'm just going to confess to you one of my pet peeves is y'all's younger generation, you know, we can't have kids yet. We have to have a dog or we have to have a cat. And then we, you know, have to do all of that and prepare a house. And it's such a joy for us adult parents, for you guys to come over to our house and you bring us your pet. So our, all three of our boys have this whole stupid routine down that you got, I mean, this routine down that you guys are doing. And, uh, and our middle son uh, is uh, got a little dog named Missy. And uh, Blaine loves Missy, me not so much. And, uh, but here's how they treat Missy. It's irritating. Andrew and Ashlyn, college degrees. I mean, I know that, you know, I mean, they're fairly sharp. <laughs> and they, they, um, this is how they talk to their dog. And they do this. It drives me insane. Missy, do you want to go outside? <laughs> Missy, do you want to go on a venture? <laughs> I look at them, intelligent kids, graduated from Marvel, you know, Andrew, but and I look at him. He doesn't, the dog doesn't speak. She doesn't speak English. She speaks bow wow. <laughs> and then they do the dumbest one of all. They take a little piece of dried meat and they call it a treat. And they take the dried meat and they hold it up and go, do you want a treat? And you know what the dog does? <laughs> and he's just waiting while they're dangling up there to do that. And they think that's fun. Give me a gun. And the whole time, the dog, I'm telling you, if they held up, I'm going to get so much. If they held up dried rabbit droppings, that dog would still go, (laughs) he doesn't know. He just thinks, I'll eat anything, anywhere, anytime. She, sorry. Whatever. She's having gender identity. Anyway, sorry. (laughs) Who cares? It's a dog. See, they get offended so easily, too. Don't talk about my precious dog. It's a dog. Anyway, we look at God, and we look at him as doing the same spiritual thing. Y'all sit there, and you go to church for a little while, and you think if the preacher just, you know, if I do enough prayer times, oh, I didn't do my hear journal this week. God's not going to show me his will. If I go to church twice a month, or I watch online once, and, and, and uh, if, you know, I, I tithe once a month. No, you tithe every week. But if I, if I tithe, you know, and if I do a little bit here and a little bit there, then maybe somehow, <laughs> then God will show me his will. And it doesn't work that way at all. 
What we're going to unpack for you today is an incredible, incredible truth that way beyond your comprehension is that God created you for his purpose. Do do you know that every plant was created and designed by God? Not sure about Brussels spouts. I'll ask him that when we get to heaven. But every plant was created and designed by God. Every animal, not sure about the mosquito, but every animal was designed and created with a purpose by God. None of this was an accident. And if you are alive and in this room this morning or watching online, some of you, a few of you, it's debatable whether or not you look alive. But if you are here this morning and you are alive, you exist for a reason and a purpose because your creator made you alive here this morning. And that's what we're going to help you unpack today. His design and creation of you and why he made you. Matter of fact, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Acts chapter 2. And uh, we're going to come back to the other picture here in a minute, Brian. So Acts chapter 2, go ahead and turn there, verse 42. And we're going to unpack for you guys what that purpose looks like in your life. So get your notes out. We're gonna, for you note takers, uh, where's Grace? Grace today, just don't even gripe at me. Get your pen and write fast. So anyway, we're going to have a lot of notes, in, and so just get ready, girl. And so we're going to cover a lot of ground today, but let me illustrate to you about this whole thing, about understanding God's purpose for me and my church. God's purpose for me and my church. So we're going to help you really where you're living at today in your life. As we get healthy church, it's going to help you figure out God's purpose in your life. Let me illustrate to you this way. Uh, I got a picture I want to show you guys. So um, don't, just leave it there for just a second, Brian. So uh, how many of you know what that thing is? Uh, we, you guys are old. All right, so uh, I'm just telling you, uh, how many of you don't know, have never seen anything like that? So, all right, okay, there we go. That's why. All right, so if you're under the age of 40, you probably have no clue what that sucker is. And let me just tell you, it's something very profound piece of equipment that was created, and it's called an oil can spout. And back in the day, here's what we did with them, all right? Uh, so your oil did not used to come in a plant. Some of you, it was hilarious. Some of you are going, oh. Uh, anyway, and so uh, back in the day, uh, you took that first picture and you stuck it into the can. Now, this is profound. Are you ready with me? Uh, in the 70s, in the 70s, they decided to save money. That one's made out of metal. But in the 70s, they decided to make them out of cardboard. And if you've ever changed your oil in the 70s or 80s and you stuck that spout into that cardboard can and it spilled the oil all over you, as Deanna Harrington says, emergency words came to mind. And anyway, I'm just telling you, it was very frustrating. It was a very uh, struggling uh, device. But if you're here this morning and you don't know what that thing is and you couldn't Google it, how would you figure out if you go to a yard sale and go back to the first picture? You go back to the and you go to a yard sale and you see that device out there and these bright <laughs> these young men and uh, and they go to a, a yard sale and you know when you go to a yard sale now they have the whole vintage section. <laughs> Do you know Gary? 
that we are now considered vintage <laughs> anyway and so when you get a certain age and so uh, you go to the vintage section because it's cool now instead of in our day we just called it old uh, and so anyway and so you go to the yard sale and you find this piece and you can't google it because google didn't exist and you, get, uh, uh, and, and you how would you find out how to what what does this do what's this purpose you would need to ask its creator and just by chance this morning I get a chance to explain to you, do you know who created the oil can spout, Tim? So you own a shop? Oh, that's embarrassing. All right, so here, let me tell you today, uh, the, the uh, oil sp- <laughs> can spout was created by a guy by the name of Joe Melvin, and he patented it in 1912. Now, you're going to love this. You and Proust are going to love this. So you car guys, Bobby, you ready? He wrote a three-and-a-half-page paper over 2,000 words in the patent explaining how to take that and stick it into a can. <laughs> All the mechanics in the room are going, that had to be a Baptist preacher guy because it had to be that wordy. You take the spout, put it in the can. <laughs> you know, and so, but he used over 2,000 words in three and a half pages uh, to describe how to use that thing. Now, I said all that to say this. The problem for you guys this morning is the creator of the oil can spout is dead. And if Google didn't exist, how in the world would you know its purpose? Now hear me this morning. God is your creator. God is your creator. He is not dead. He is alive and you can personally know him. He longs for you to ask him what your purpose in this life is and matter of fact he is so enamored with you he wrote you a manual he tells you word for word from beginning to end how you can know him and your purpose for existing in your life he is alive and well somebody say amen this morning and today we're going to put you in touch with your creator we're going to talk to the one who made you because he is alive today and we're going to share with you this morning how you can know your purpose now in the first week of the sermon series this is us we talked to you guys in a quick summary for those of you guys that haven't been here we explained to you in week one That the church, we're helping you understand, not the way your mom and daddy raised you, not the way we've always done church necessarily, but what does the book say that the church is? And lesson number one, you need to know that the book says the church is a family. We are the family of God. And as a family, we're supposed to live life together together relationships are important. Matter of fact, they are so important that we at Connect Church are moving back in the direction of the biblical concept of the church being a family that we renamed our church two years ago. We renamed it to Connect because we believe in relationships are so important. And here's a novel idea. We believe this says you're supposed to love God, connect to God, and love each other, connect to one another, and that's it. Connect to God and to one another. It's a church family. That's what we were created for, relationships. And then we learned last week that every church, if you have family and friends, and when they go to whatever church they go to, you need to ask them and you need to find out. And, and thankfully, that we're not the only ones that have figured this out. We're certainly, by God's grace, not the only ones going to heaven. <laughs> Some of you, anyway. But... Um, What we should be a part of, what every church should have, 
is four key priorities, four doctrines of belief. Number one, universal church, every church should have this. You should be Christ-centered. No debate. Christ-centered, the church is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about our show. It's about Christ. Christ Christ-centered, crucified, risen, coming again. It's that truth that Tanner just led us in singing. Wow. Awesome stuff. It's Christ. Number two, the church is not what Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Presbyterians, or anybody else. It's this book. It's the Bible. What we taught you in week two is the church is what the Bible says it is. Not how you were raised, not your southern tradition. The church is what God designed it for, and he calls it a family. Number three, it is to be God-honoring. What happens in here is not an entertainment. It's not a show. It's not to tell you what you want to hear. It is to lift up God Almighty high, holy, and lift it up. And our job is to bring our lives in obedience to that. God honoring. And number four, we talked to you last Sunday, and this is where it goes astray. This is where I think the church gets off track. It's to be led by a Baptist business meeting and the way we've always sat in our pew. You already done blown it because we ain't got none. We got chairs. We're going to sing out of the red hymnal that my grandma, no, no, no. The church is to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that's the component that has tripped up so many. We've gotten so comfortable with doing it our way and how we want it that we don't listen to that. We can do it. Oh, we can put on a show and we can pull it off, but we don't listen to the Holy Spirit. But now, what makes Connect Church, every church, man, if your church doesn't know this, then I'm telling you, this is why so many churches are dying and frustrating. Those four key doctrines, non-debatable, those are, those are non-debatable. If you don't believe in those four, this ain't the place for you. I'm telling you now, get out. Because those are non-arguable. We, we, don't, we don't even have a discussion on that. That's just, that's who we are. Got it? It's just, it is. But now there's distinctives. How, what, why did God put this church in East Tupelo in 1931? And now over the years, over the last 90 years, some of you have been here for all 90. <laughs> anyway, uh, but over the last 90 years, our church has done this, strayed away from it, done this, strayed away from it, but we are laser focused on this. This is the three key things that we believe that why God put this in this community in East Tupelo in 1931. We're getting back to it. We're getting back to what God's called us to do, and we are laser focused. This is where we're going. Here's the three things. Real quickly, number one, we believe in making disciples. They're in last Sunday's sermon. We believe in making disciples. Primary number one, what God has called us to do here is to teach you all how to follow Christ. That's it. That's what we do here. Number two, we're about sharing the gospel. Barring nothing. Well, I need to, we need to have a men's and women's fellowship dinner, and we need, to have, we, we need a plan for that. No, 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 no. What we need to be about is getting the gospel to people who are going to die and go to hell here in this community and around the world. I'm telling you, we do not swerve from that. We do not sway from that. That is the priority of our budget, and that is the priority of our church. We love you, but get involved. You're here to serve. We're, we're here to share the gospel. Number three, we really believe in the power of prayer. We believe that God does it all. It's got to be about what he's doing in our midst. And here's the difference, and this will help you in your personal life. We don't pray at Connect Church. God, 
here's what we want to do, and this is how we believe we should do it. You bless us. Now, what we do is, God, we are jacked up. We have no clue what we're doing here. You give us your vision. You give us your not only vision and plan for this church, but then you show us how to implement it and how to get it done, and thereby the blessing will come. And if you'll do that in your personal life as well, quit asking God to bless your messes. How about start on the front end with praying and asking God to show you what you should be doing? Just thought I'd throw that away. All right, here we go. So here's this morning. Now look with us. Look at me this morning. This is us. This is us. This is it. This is what we do here. And here's why what we stand on, Acts 2.42. And they devoted themselves in the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul. I love that phrase. So many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Look at me this morning. To God be the glory. In the midst of flipping COVID virus, we just hit our third month in a row of somebody being saved, baptizing, or joining the church. Give God a round of applause in all and glory of what he is doing in our midst. It's all about him. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling the possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had in need. And day by day, attending the temple, big service together, and then breaking bread in their homes, basically at night, they were Baptists, they ate, and they received the food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and what the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved, and everybody's bemoaning the fact that the church in America is dying, and the church in Acts was growing, what was the difference? They followed the family of God model, and they glorified him. And that's what we're about, guys, and God will bless that. I'm telling you, it's no secret. It's no program. It is getting back to honoring God. Now, let's dig a little bit deeper into our text today. And uh, um, get his name down right here so I don't screw uh, Dr. A.J.F. Fernando and many other scholars believe that Dr. Luke, who was a medical physician, an apostle, is the one that wrote the book of Acts. And as he would use the language of his well-educated um, uh, upbringing, he would, and, and to be an apostle, you had to be one who had seen the works of Christ, but he had also was there to eyewitness the accounts of Peter preaching on the day of Pentecost and the apostle Paul taking the church to the Gentiles without getting into all the weeds this morning. Dr. Luke is a brilliant scholar who would record for us the early church how and why it existed. Now, in verse 42, he uses a significant phrase. When you see there in verse 42, right off the bat, he uses the word devoted. And, you know, we know, oh, yeah, we're devoted. We sort of read over that in our English language, and we think that's sort of cool. It is so much deeper in the original language. It has the idea and the concept of constant. It means they were constantly committed to doing this. Uh, here's what really a literal translation of that Greek word. It's in the imperfect verb tense. Here's what we could write. You want to write that down. Here's what it means if we were translating that verse literally. They were being in a state of constant engagement in the teaching of the apostles. In other words, discipleship was constantly going on in the church. 
look at me this morning. Y'all keep thinking, and I know why you do it, because we've had a men's program, and we've had a youth program, and we've had a women's program, and we've had a feed the preacher program, whatever. Uh, we've had all these programs all the year, and we got you all psyched up. You've got to join this program and do that Thursday night visitation, and we've got to do this program. And what we're trying to tell you is, is we were wrong, and we were stupid, and, and, and we met well, but it just didn't work. Discipleship is ongoing constantly all the time. It is is literally our lifestyle everything we do always devoted to discipleship it's how we live there's a big difference between program church and discipleship is ongoing devoted lifestyle constant and that's what he was talking about then this new testament scholar goes on to write another piece about this another nugget of, of going deeper with the text he says that the early church in acts 2 was characterized and I love this, by intimacy with God. When you read into this text, the description of Dr. Luke about the early church, you see that the early church actually, now this is cool, met with God. There's a novel idea. Let me ask you this morning, why did you get up, get dressed? How many of you, just go ahead and don't raise your hands, but how many of you go, Man, I'm going to sleep in today. This is such a bad day. So, uh, Tanner. Uh, anyway, uh, but uh, how many of you thought, you know, man, I, I, you know, wh why did you come to church this morning? Let me ask you again. Why did you come to church this morning? If you came to church to hear some good songs, you shouldn't have come. If you came to church to hear a good sermon, you shouldn't have come. How many is going to tell you that down the road? If you came here this morning for any other John Brown reason than to meet with the living creator of the universe who loved you and brought you into existence, if you came for any other reason than to watch even Jackson jump into the baptism pool and splash the preacher, if you came for any other reason than to meet with God, then you're wasting your time. Get out. Because I'm telling you what the early church, what they hungered for, what they craved for, and this is all on you. If you come here desiring for God to meet with you, he will. I know because I prayed over you and I've loved you and I know he is in this place today. I just witnessed an hour of it and he's fixing to do it right now in your heart and your life. We come because we want intimacy with God. We long and desire more than anything else for God to speak to us. A third part of going deeper here this morning is understanding a little bit of the terminology that Dr. Luke would use. Notice the next phrase. He says the word fellowship. Go back to um, verse 42, if you would. Pull it back up for me, Brian. And notice what he says, the apostles' teaching in the fellowship. Now, the translation of that word is a Greek word that you've heard before, not the first preacher to say it, called kononia. How many have heard the word kononia? So, all right, so heard that word. Doesn't that sound cool? All right, let's just say it together. Uh, you guys, this is going to be really prolific for you. Here's what I want you to do tonight. We're going to say it out loud on the count of three in just a second. That, well, let's just do that. On the count of three, let's all say the word kononia, and you guys get to sp speak Greek. Okay, you ready? Shelton, your first Greek word. All right, you ready? On the count of three. One, two, three. You guys are now bilingual. Congratulations. Anyway, uh, so you know Greek now. Anyway, uh, here's the thing. The Greek word there that he's talking about goes way deeper than just fellowship. 
and I want you to use this tonight, by the way. Oh, yeah, I forgot. That's what I was going to say. This is going to be so cool. You're going to blow Chop and Kevin Tudor's mind. I want you to walk into your Kinect group, and I want you to just say to your Kinect group leader, I so love our Koinonia group together in Connect Church. And Kevin and Chop's going to go, huh? Anyway, uh, so we're going to use a little bit of Greek language here tonight, but, but here's the thing. It, it means deeper than just fellowship. In the original language, it is talking about the bond, that marital commitment that in the marriage ceremony, when a husband and wife says, for better or worse, in life or death, I'm devoted I'm committed. I'm going to fellowship with you no matter what. I'm going to be there with you through thick or thin. And that is the idea of Konania. We're going to stick this thing out together and we're going to be in fellowship. And that sounds great. And that's what every church pastor tells you that their church is about. But we really suck at it. And we don't do very well with it. And you want to know why? Because there's another word. And it's not a real word, but Andrew and I uh, found out about it today in our, in our discipleship training that we were sitting in or listening to Pastor Ed from Mobile, Alabama, and, and he brought out a new word to us that we never heard before. And uh, he said, the problem is, is not kononia, the problem is, is our churches are rather identified by kononosis. Huh? Kononitis. Whatever. How did you get that? Anyway, kononitis. <laughs> Well, mine, I like mine. Anyway, Conan, <laughs> and uh, so, uh, there we go. so uh, c- c- that word. So here's what Conanitis means. It is a disease. And the difference between Conania and Conanitis is this. Conanitis is what most Baptist churches have. Conanitis is where it's about you. I come to church to sit in my pew. We had folks, we, had, we have a family that since I've been here, they sit on the left side every Sunday, and in the 9 o'clock service, they sit over here. I didn't even know if I could preach. Because you guys, not only do you pick what side of the building, and you middle people, oh, you ain't about to go right or left. You're following straight down the middle. Every week, I know where you're going to sit. I know. And, and so I'm just telling you, we Baptists, we're going to sit in our same spot. And don't you dare get me, you know, and, and all that. That's Conanitis. What, what we really want is we want church to be about me. I want my show. I want my comfort zone. And the reason churches are dying is we have traded Conania, the fellowship of, of learning how to rub each other the wrong way and the right way and how to grow in one another and, and how that we, we learn from one another. And all of this problem is, is that we want to simply have it my way. What church is about is about fellowship of learning to interact with one another and, and I learn from your faults and I learn from my faults and, and when I say stupid things like I just did, then we learn to get past them and we focus on our koinonia and fellowship. Let me illustrate it. This is where mommy's going. Um, Andrea Outland wrote in a book uh, it's a really dumb title, but she wrote a book, uh, Worship Up, and I just don't get the title. But anyway, it's a very profound truth that she writes in the book. And she talks about this whole Conanitis and versus Conania, and she said, here's the word picture of that. It's, take a bag of marbles, it's Conanitis, it's where it's about you, and this is how we do church, this is how y'all like it. And a bag of marbles... You put them in a bag, and 
shake them all up. And they rub, you know, around each other. They, you know, a little bit scratchy, a little bit itchy. But you know what a bag of marbles does? They don't interact. They just, they still have their individual colors and it's all about them and it's their brightness. And you look in the bag and you just see them light up and it's all about the marbles in the bag and they never, but she said, Konania, fellowship, going deeper, living life together through the pain is putting us in a bag of grapes and taking a bag of grapes and, you know, some of you ladies and cooks are going to just like wig out. What do you do when you shake up? And, you know, you were a little kid, you give your kids grapes and you tell them, don't do that. You know, they shake the bag because what do grapes do? They just start, you know, bleeding over each other and the juice gets all over and it's messy. And that's what the church should be, is our messiness. The ugly and the good bleeds over on each other. And we become one in the spirit of Christ. And so he's saying to us, this is what I want my New Testament church to be. This is how we do this. And it's Konania that we're looking for. And Christ is telling you and I today. And Dr. Fernando describes it and sums it up this way. And, and let me just give you this. The joy of the fellowship came from the heart not because people were trying to impress anyone. This is Konania. But they had developed an attitude toward each other that enabled them to truly enjoy each other. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Konania. This is what we're going for at Connect Church. We're not looking for anyone to star. We're looking for us to come together and truly help each one another in the messiness. Guys, this is us. This is what we desire for Connect Church. So get out your notes, and here's what we're going to finish out with. Four practical applications of this text. So that's the text. Now let me tell you about how it makes a difference in your life. So this is God's purpose for the church. Now how do I discover God's purpose for me in the church? What does that look like? Principle number one, I want you to write down. God plan. oh, this is good. And, and I need you to, it, God plans you for his uh, pleasure. Now, here's what I want you to do. Uh, and I know you're writing this down, but as you listen to me, I need you to enter down to more than just information. I need you to, for just a few minutes, to really ask God to speak to you like never before. I'm convinced that God wants to blow your mind right now and lead you into a relationship of worship with him. God plans you for his pleasure. You were made for his pleasure. If God had not made you, you would not exist. Um, how many of you are parents in the building? Raise your hand right now. You understand that um, when you brought your kids to church today, just go ahead and tell the honest truth is, is that you brought your kids here to church today. Just go ahead and admit it. You've been fighting and screaming with them all week. Uh, you're about to kill them, and you brought them to church today, and when you stuck them in the nursery, or especially you stuck them in children's church with Andrew, you are praying somehow they get more of that guy and less of the other guy. I'm not talking about your husband. I'm talking about the other guy, and you're praying that somehow in that hour that they're in that building, bless God, we're going to get a new one. If Andrew doesn't get Jesus into them, then we're out, and, and so you're wanting, you're wanting your kid to somehow get some Jesus into them because you just came to church to get away from your own kids shame on you but how many times do we do that I want to tell you that's not the way God designed you God takes pleasure in you 
Do you remember back in the day when they weren't acting like a holy terror? Do you remember walking into the bedroom of your little babies? And is there any sweeter moment in your life than when they're just sitting there in that little baby's bed and you just watch their chest go up and down and you just sort of begin to weep and go, look what God has given us. The gift of life. And you pray a prayer and that tired, worn out night of the moment when you're just at your wit's end and you pray a prayer and you say, God, thank you for that precious gift. <laughs> With all the yelling and screaming and all the feeding and all the other stuff, God, thank you for that gift. You take pleasure in those kids. You enjoy them. And God does the same with you. God enjoys watching you every day of your life, every moment. He created you for his pleasure. God loves watching you. I want you to think about this. This is, this is a game changer. When you get up tomorrow and you go to work at the factory and you're building furniture here in the North Mississippi, God is watching you go to that factory and to do that work because he loves you and he wants you to do your best. When you are underneath a car and you're changing oil or you're fixing an engine or replacing a tire, God is watching over you because he loves you and he takes pleasure in every single thing that you do. When you're at home changing those diapers and you're feeding those kids and it's tired and you just want to eat supper by yourself. God is watching you be a mom and a dad because he takes pleasure in you. When you're sitting at your office and you're filling out that report, you're teaching those kids at school. God is watching over you and your job and what you do. He takes pleasure in you. He made you for his pleasure and he loves every single thing you do. And so now he wants you to go to work living your life on mission for him going, know what? God has given me the ability to do this job. God is for me he is not against me. He is watching everything I do, and he loves it. Did you ever go to a ball game and watch your kids or watch them at a concert, watch them do their dance recital, whatever they're doing? Did you ever go and cheer your kids on? Why? Because you take pleasure in them trying. All three of my boys... Uh, we went to music stuff with Andrew because watching him with basketball was not pleasurable. And uh, our oldest son, Aaron, uh, played ball. He was, I mean, he, he was like me. He went one speed, and he wasn't most talented, so he went 100 miles an hour, and he overachieved. He was 5'8", and, and barely, I think he's probably 5'6". And anyway, and he was, uh, he played so hard. Adam, our oldest, you know, he wound up being 6'3". If he had the work ethic of Aaron at ball, he would still be playing somewhere professionally. Uh, he could shoot lights out. Aaron couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. He had the ugliest left-handed shot. They had to take the backboards down at Morville because he kept breaking them. He was Brick City. And I would sit there at the ball games 
And, you know, the audience would look around and the coach and everybody would go, you know, and Aaron would jack up a shot and he'd brick it. And, and the parents would look around, you know, like, whose kid is that? And I go, I don't know. You know, and, uh, and uh, I don't know, man, I wish that kid would quit shooting. <laughs> you know, so just keeping it real. And I never told Aaron that. Hope he's not watching. But, you know, when we got home, when we got home, I told Aaron, dude, I am so proud of you. Nobody hustled like you out there. Man, you are such a great basketball player. I love, and I did, I love watching you play. You're my son, and man, I am so Lord proud Jesus, of the way you played out there so tonight. So thankful for your salvation. And then I would add, but son, let's so pass the ball that. more. Anyway, but the yeah, truth of the matter was, Man, I was cheering them on because I took great pleasure in my kids. And that's exactly how God sees you guys. And, and, and he loves you and he created you that. He loves watching you. Now, I don't have this in my notes. I have no idea why, but I want you to write this down. And let me take this a little bit further in understanding that God planned you for his pleasure. You can't make God stop loving you. I want you to write that down. You can't make God stop loving you. And you want to know why? Because he created you. He designed you for his pleasure. And he loves watching your life. And I'm just telling you, you cannot make God stop loving you. You want to know how I know that? Not only does the word of God tell me that, but I've experienced it firsthand. Your pastor's wife, your beloved pastor's wife, beautiful, incredible, all of those things. But she would go through a dark season in her life where Satan would distract her and defeat her. We were going through changes in the church, and she was listening to negativity, and she literally began to struggle to have faith in God. She would tell me for a season, she's publicly told this years ago, and that she didn't even want to go to church here because of the dark season that she was going through in her life and the struggles that we were having here at Connect Church. Your own pastor's wife. And you know what? Praise God Almighty. He never gave up on her. He never quit loving her, and neither did you. And she's here today, and she's on fire for God, and never been used of him any more than she's ever dreamed before, because God never gave up on her. He never stopped loving her. And your pastor, in 2006, your Our student minister, Gerald Turner, had just got married in September. So a graduate much. of Morville, graduate of Free Will Baptist we Bible College, come to lead our group. We were rolling, things were booming, and he got, came here in May, got married in September, and on Thanksgiving Day of that same year, at the age of 22, dropped over dead of a heart attack. Our church, and me personally, would go into a tailspin that would take Lord, us 18 months to recover from what we have and help us Lord each and every day to emulate you I told to let others the in deacons, this world see you through I us I told my wife to be your and I told and God I quit and I just pray I was that you mad would just at God to always, don't judge me I guarantee you've been there as well give you praise amen we just ask it in your most precious and I told him I'm out name. amen and I'm done and thank God they didn't listen to the preacher this time. God never quit loving me when I wanted to quit. You guys never quit loving me when I wanted to quit. And I'm here today 
And we sent the devil packing back to hell where he belongs. And look what God has given us and blessed us because God never stops loving you. Somebody say amen. And when my kids, two of them, would struggle and all but walk away from their faith, it's personal. God has planned you for his pleasure. And when those boys would struggle to walk away from their faith and go the other way, my God still watched over my kids. He never quit loving them. You guys never quit loving my boys. And because of that, they're sitting here today. God created you for his pleasure. He never stops loving you. Worship that this morning. And then the next thing I want you to write down, it's not in your notes. Not quite as stirring and exciting, but it's good. God doesn't need you. All right, just go ahead and write that down. Oh, this is good. For some of you on the other end of this, y'all are so full of yourselves, you think the church revolves around you. Well, I tell you what, my family has been here since the beginning. Well, your family may not be there at the end with that attitude. I'm just saying, God doesn't need you, but now write this down. He wants you. Oh, that's good. He doesn't need you. But he wants you. Oh, that's money. God wants you. He wants you to become a disciple. Uh, he, listen to me this morning, and, and I need you to look at me today. The reason y'all get so frustrated and mad because all Brother Terry talks about, all Andrew and Tanner talks about, is we need to do hear journals, hear journals. Well, I don't like doing hear journals. I don't want to join a connect group because I might have to share something about my life, and somebody might talk to me, and I don't like people, and so I want to stay in my little shell of a life. And so all of those things that y'all keep whining and griping about, here's why we keep pushing it. Here's why we keep selling it. Because you need to know every day you're suiting it up, you're going to work, you're facing hell, the devil, and all kinds of problems all day long. Family members, friends, dying, everything around you is negative. The reason we want you guys to do here journals, the reason we want you in a small group is because you need to learn God made you for his pleasure. He never stops loving you. He doesn't need you, but he wants you. And every day the devil tries to beat that out of you. And all we're trying to do is help remind you of those truths. That's it. So get mad at us because we love you and beg you enough to find out how much God loves you. And to quit believing the lie. That's why we're selling this. God made you for his pleasure. And when you come to that truth, you're going to realize he is worthy to be worshipped. Hear me this morning. God created you all to worship. Not to worship church. Not to worship a style of music. Not to worship a preacher. He created you to worship the one who loves you and made you in his image. Here's what we stand on, Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and may be filled with all the fullness of God. All right, Grace, you just, you're, you're going to be so mad. Number two, we're going to go quick. God formed you for his family. God formed you for his family. I don't like people. I hate people. Well, you're ungodly then because God hates loneliness. 
God made you, whether you like it or not, Buttercup, to be a part of the family. Write that in your notes, Buttercup. God made you a part of the family. And here's the verse that we stand on with that, Ephesians 3, 17. We learned it last week. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you're being rooted and grounded in love. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. What is that verse teaching us? The only way that you can be a part of the family of God, listen to me this morning, I don't care who your mommy and your daddy are, the only way you can be a part of the family of God is by believing in Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. That's the only way you get to be a part of the family of God. But now here's the benefit of being a part of the family of God. The church family is there to support you and to give you the foundation that you need. It is in small groups, it is in discipleship groups that you find community of which people pray for you. Look at me real quickly this morning. There's gonna be a point in a time in your life, you understand Bashams, where your mama or your daddy's gonna die. Got a church member in ICU or in hospice care right now. It's a matter of time. And when that family member dies, you understand this morning we're all going to die. And when that family member gets sick, your kids wander away, you're struggling with your marriage, or somebody in your family dies, you're going to need a church family. And you know how it works here? Your small group comes alongside of you at your most difficult hour when your head is spinning and you don't know what you're supposed to do or how you're going to get through this week and they're going to feed you our small groups are going to pray over you and they're going to love you and our small groups are going to be there with you in that most difficult week and that most difficult hour because that's what being a part of the family of God. You don't need the preacher. You don't have to have the staff. What you need is your church family, that small group loving you, feeding you, and pouring into you. And I promise you, you're going to need a church family sooner or later. So Buttercup, get involved. And by the way, I don't have time for this, but we're going to do it anyway. Don't you dare. I, I'm telling you now, I'm coming for you. If you go out and badmouth this church and you go badmouth me and you say, I'll tell you what, when my Aunt Susie died and my grandma died or whatever, whoever died, I'll tell you what, I didn't get a call. Nobody in church family came and did anything for me. And you've been sitting on your John Brown backside this whole time. You've never lifted a finger to take food, pray, or care for anybody else or join a small group to help learn how because this is what family does. We learn how to love other people. And if you've never been involved in helping somebody else, then shut up and don't gripe when it doesn't happen to you. Just thought I'd share that. I feel better. And here's what we do in the church family. Here's what we do in the church family. Oh, this is good. We learn how to love real people, not ideal people. Oh, write that down. I, I made that up. This is good. We learn how to love real people not ideal people. Have you ever met somebody that's just sort of like sandpaper to you? When <laughs> I'm looking at him now, I get it. Have you ever met somebody that just sort of rubs you the wrong way? <laughs> Stop it. Some of y'all are looking around the room. They're here. Okay, I'm just saying that's rude. <laughs> Some of y'all put your head down. <laughs> God and the family means people are going to rub us the wrong way. 
not, you're not going to get along with everybody in this church. We're not telling you that this is a perfect church and everybody loves each other and we just all love and hug and do all that. Man, there's people in this church I don't even like. <laughs> God's not called us to like each other. He's called us to love each other. And there ain't nobody in this church I don't love. We learn how in the family to love real people, not ideal people. Isn't that awesome? That's what the family of God does. So here's a summary. God wants you and I to learn how to love real people, not ideal people. Number three, God created you to become like Christ. The ultimate goal, the whole reason we exist here as a church, is God wants us to become disciples. It's all about learning how to become his, uh, to follow Christ. Now hear me real quickly this morning. I don't learn, school teacher, you don't learn from your successes. God has given me a number of successes here that things have went well. Haven't learned a John Brown thing from that. You know how I've learned how to be a pastor after 30 plus years from screwing things up? I've learned how when I preach a bad message to get better. I've learned how when I made bad decisions to do better with them. You learn from pain. Are you getting, some of you all have this ideal personality that you think everything should just go great and I've got to be the perfect parent and I've got to do everything right because if I don't do everything right and I don't go to church right and I don't have the right marriage and you want everything to be right, look at me this morning. You don't do, let, hear, hear me this morning. You're going to fail at your marriage. You're going to fail at raising your kids. You're going to fail at being a Christian at times and you don't learn from the successes. You learn from your failures how to lean on God. God and it's not about you. Look at this phrase. I want you to write this down. Write it down quick, Gracie, because it ain't going to be up there long. We don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. What God is saying to you and I this morning to mold us into being like Christ, hear me this morning. You are not called, oh, this is good. You're not called to be successful parents. You're not called to have a successful marriage. You're not even called to be a good Christian. You know what you're called to do? You're called to lean on Christ. You're called to humble yourself and go, this is where I screwed it up. This is where I failed. God, I need you to teach me how to lean on you and quit trying to raise perfect kids and perfect families. Number four, God made you for a mission. God made you for a mission. He wants you to pass it on. God made you for a mission. Ephesians 3.20 is what we stand on. Now to him who is able to do more abundantly than when we ask or think according to the power that works in us. You know how you do this? As you learn, God doesn't need you guys to go out and be his lawyer. God just needs you to go tell people at work, this is what God is doing in my life. This is how God is blessing my family. And as you guys just go share what's happening at Connect Church, he doesn't need you to be a lawyer that has to define the Romans' road of salvation. He just needs you guys to go out and live your life on mission at school and at work, being ready that when you get a chance, you're going to put a plug in for God. That's your purpose for living. What fruit does a tomato plant produce? Tomatoes. What fruit does a potato vine produce? Potatoes. What fruit 
do Christians produce other Christians? That's your mission. Let's go live it. Shall we stand together? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth today. And God, thank you for showing us the purpose for the church and for us. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to just pray this prayer with me right now. Dear God, I am so sorry that I have sinned against you. I am so repenting right now of everything that I've left you out of my life. And today, I ask you to come into my heart, forgive me of my sins, wash them away by the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe that you can adopt me into the family of God. And today, as you come into my heart, I am choosing to live for you for the rest of eternity. If you just prayed that prayer right now, in just the quietness of the moment, we're not going to sing a verse of invitation tonight, uh, this morning, but we're inviting you today to just come and our counselors will meet with you. Let's make this public uh, profession of faith and, and let our counselors meet with you and let's, let's, let's write it down and get it settled for you. Now, church families, we pray over this final prayer. Let me just talk into you this morning. Church family, here's our prayer today. It's, just, it's very easy and very succinct. And this is what we wanted you to pray today and discuss it tonight in small groups. Dear God, I love you and thank you for Connect Church. It's not a perfect place. It's full of grapes, even some sandpaper, sandpaper people. But God, I thank you that you're teaching me how much you love me. God, I am blown away to hear today how much that my creator loves to watch my life and all of my struggles, and all of my victories, and all of my, all of my battles, but you are so for me, you are not against me. God, you are so in love with who I am and what I can be that you're never, ever going to quit loving me. And God, today, I bow before you, and I worship you, and I recommit myself afresh and anew. I'm going to start my hear journals. I'm going to join a small group. God, I'm going to learn more about you every day because I need to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the devil's a liar. I cannot be defeated. I have victory because you say I have victory. And today, Father, I believe in the name of Jesus. And if that's your heart and that's your life today, then you guys go out and live that. God bless you this morning as we worship and praise him. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Playback Podcast from Connect Church in Tupelo, Mississippi. Connect Church has two worship services on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. and 10.30. We sincerely hope you'll visit. For more information and details, or if you have any questions you'd like to answer, please visit our website at www.triconnect.church. Again, that's www.triconnect.church.